All right, everybody. Appreciate you guys uh, coming back. <laughs> That's a good sign. So <laughs> grateful to be here with you guys. Um, we're going to start off in the doctor's opinion. We've just taken a look at the fourth, third, fourth edition. We looked at the general information. So now we're going to look at the problem is. Um, you know, I always thought problems made so bad. Problems that, problems that. We're going to see very clearly that this is only part of our problem. It's not the main problem, but it's a big part of our problem. And when we come to alcohol, it's not really don't know this. I do. So it says the doctor's opinion. Pay attention to that opinion. Because that's going to change. That's going to change to fact as we move through the chat. Hey, David. Sorry to pause you. It's just cutting out in and out pretty bad. Well... Right there, is good. right there is perfect. Okay. Here we go. We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader, if I'm reading this in the first person, I definitely won't realize that this is talking about me. The reader will be interested in the will be interested in the medical evidence plan of recovery described. And we've already talked about this over and over. In this book. <laughs> so, if I look at how this relation, and I take the word better and ask because, because for me, that doesn't really matter. I want to look at where the plan of recovery is described. For so long I've said in meetings, thinking that that's where it's from, that it was described in function. didn't realize that it was described in the book. It says convincing testimony must surely come from many. The means of experience, not just looking for knowledge, <laughs> the experience. But this great promise with the suffering of our members and have witnessed what we turn as a promise. But only bodily health is known. Well known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital, specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction, gave alcoholics a now, this is going to be one of two letters that he wrote. In those days, you couldn't just walk into something and do a 12 step call. It was hard to do it. So, in order to get into a facility to do a 12 step call, you had to have a doctor's The doctor was going to put their name on it. I guarantee not in the anybody had ever heard of this. But this is one of two letters that he gives alcoholics. He says, to whom it may concern now. If I'm reading this in the first person, who's that? It's me. I'm reading this like he's talking to somebody else. I won't pay attention to that because this is his opinion. I have specialized in treatment of alcoholism for many years. And 34, I've seen it a patient. Learning capacity doesn't matter. Disease doesn't care whether you're a businessman, how much money you earn, it doesn't care. Was an alcoholic of a type and come to regard as hopeless. Now, in those days, you could come into this system and he would give you the best medical treatment of that day. They would hook you up with everything that was, he kind of detox you, so to speak. He would put you out into a ward, into a room by yourself, 
You had three opportunities to do it. On the third time, if you came back and came back, he would regard you as to society. Ever seen anybody ever do before? They can around town for business once a day. They're never coming back. Once they regarded you as hopeless with family's consent, you never come back. That's where the spiritual experience took place. Wanted to stop. So he says, Bill was on the course of his third treatment, he acquired a certain idea. If you look at that key word, ideas, that's something we're going to pay a lot of attention to as we go through this. If that man had not had a spiritual experience, I guarantee he would not have an idea concerning possibly. I don't have an idea. Unless I have a spiritual experience, I just don't have ideas like that. So we know by this time he had the spiritual experience that he descended as part of his real See, everybody says all the time you hear it. You have to carry the message, carry the message, carry the message. Here is telling me that's only a part of the real. It's not the full world. Come to me. We do service for others and practice because of it. Remember, they're straight it's not just means of the time, it's just not hurting people all the So as part of his rehabilitation, he presented conceptions. Other words, we're going to pay attention. The other alcoholics impressing upon them that they must do likewise was still He would have never done. This has become the basis of the rapidly growing fellowship. But this man look at this promise. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. They've recovered. The second fact is, in the course of the third treatment, he acquired certain ideas. And the third fact is that they impressed him. They must do my glasses. He says, This has become the basis of the So, let's go over to the next page. Let's go down to where he signed his name. Very truly, was William D. Silkworth. Now, if you ever look at a first edition printing of the book of Paul's Thomas, his name's not in there. He said, man, if this thing goes south, I'll tell this guy called H. Wayne. My name's not in there. And they had become a national institution. And they began to grow. They grew up growing. He missed a good chance to get drunk. Didn't he? So, let's look at what he's going to do. Important part of this. I look at it in the first person. 
the physician who had already quest gave us this letter. Has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views and the understanding which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic culture that should be questioned for any of us must believe it. That the body of the alcoholic is part of that more or less is not. As I said earlier, I don't need to go to the doctor read books. I don't think there's wrong with my eyes. I mean, I'm pretty convinced there's no doubt. But if you tell me there's something wrong with my body, <laughs> I can't get my mind. I mean, my body is as normal as my mind. I don't believe. But what he's fixing to tell me here makes absolutely perfect sense. This is why I cannot break success. This is why every one of us are the same. It's not the man that makes us all the same. My sponsor Charlie used to tell me all the time, God forbid, that every there's going to be different behaviors. Love's going to fight. Love's going to love. Love's going to die. All kinds of different things. One thing remains the same. If we put it in our body, we're not going to be able to stop until we're full drunk sick. Same goes with any other problem you have. So that's what he's saying. It says in the statement confirms what we must believe. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control the drink. Just because we were maladjusted to life, that we life in full flight from reality, effects. Well, these things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent for some of us. This one word right here changes. But they're sure of only I asked, Are you sure? Absolutely sure that you want to say by the examples that I'm about to give you. Are you sure? I've got a daughter that lives over in her little home. She's bad. She's crazy. She's sweet. But she's crazy. She's maladjusted to life. She's in full flight from reality. She's an outright mental defect. She can drink alcohol. Ain't a damn thing wrong with her. Her mind is exactly the same as mine towards everybody else. The difference is when I put alcohol in my body, can't stop drinking. I put other things in my body, I can't stop. That's the difference. We all face the main problem is in the mind. I tell you. I had an ex-wife. In fact, I've had a few of them. We go to the store and she get a sick bag. We get a 12-pack of beer. She would drink three of those and I'd drink nine. It might be six months before she drinks any more beer. It's six months before I quit. And I'm trying to quit. Why can't I do what she does? I don't understand. Well, this tells we're sure that our body's sick as well. Hers wasn't sick in that place. I think. Anytime I put that in, it matches what it's saying. So, being full flight of reality, outright, and we think that, I mean, that's a different part of it for us. But, we're not sure our bodies are sick. Because the doctor says it's hard to eat. Any picture that leaves out of this group of factors in 
So if you've ever left that out, you relapsed. Relapsed. And relapsed. And relapsed. You're coming in here trying to fix your mind, fix your mind, fix your mind. I don't want to take a look at your mind. Because there's a lot going on there. So the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol should be a question. Claiming our opinion as good soundness may have forced me to live. I look at this promise as X problem drink as promised. We can say that his explanation makes sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise count. But we work out our solution on the web as well as the alternate plane. We pay the hospitalization to the very jittery or default. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be clear for his I used to take people that have come in the meetings without holding the breath, set them down, and begin to try working through the steps, and move. And all. They'd had a medicine. I began to work with them, and they'd read it. mad. Good. I went back to T-Bone. What's going on here? And he brought me back to this point in the book and said, David, it takes 72 hours for alcohol to access the body after you quit drinking. He said, at that time, the mind's going to go crazy. He said, but you're fighting the session. You're not fighting out of you. Session. He said, when that man walks in with liquor, oh, brain, setting down, he's giving coffee, he's doing whatever he's doing. It is imperative that man's brain before he's approached with this work. I don't think we don't approach him. Hi, everybody. Sorry about that. Let's, <clears throat> we'll continue on here. Let's go over to uh, Roman numeral 27, XXBII. And we're going to take a look at where we're going to drop down there where he says, I say this after many years. I remember this is his opinion. I say this after many years experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. <clears throat> there was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail. Look at these key words in these pages. Now notice how he says we. Somehow between I and we, now he's got the support of other doctors. He didn't have that up to this point. So whatever that time lapse was, I don't know. But now he's going to start talking about we. He no longer uses I. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics. Here was a little man who had helped over 40,000 alcoholics in his lifetime to recover. He was the first man to ever find out what was wrong with us physically. <clears throat> I don't think that had ever been discovered in all of the years of man, ever since man first crushed great. Even King Solomon in the Great Holy Bible, if you read about him, he was the wisest man in the world. But one of the things he said, they asked him the question. And he said, I don't know why the grapes sting it. So much. And so we've been stung pretty hard at times, you know. He knew that it was a good idea to stay away from it. He just didn't know why. 
So this was the first man to ever realize that, that God had give this to. So <clears throat> he said this application presented difficulties beyond our conception with our, notice that our, it's not I anymore, ultra modern standards, our, he's not talking singular anymore, scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. So let's take a look over at the next page and we'll drop down to the bottom paragraph there again, because of time is the way that we have to do this. <clears throat> We're going to take a look at where it says on page 28, Roman numeral 28, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I told T-Bone I don't believe that. He says it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's the truth. You believe a lot of lies. This ain't no different. <laughs> and I said, I love the taste of bourbon whiskey. And I love the taste of cold beer. He said, you love the taste of coffee too, huh? And I said, yeah. And he said, you drink 48 cups of that shit every time you sit down? I said, no. He said, why not? Hell, I don't know. It don't have the same effect. And so that's why he's saying here, we drink essentially because we like the effect. It has nothing to do with the taste. The sensation is so elusive. It eludes me. It's elusive. That while we admit it is injurious, I know it's killing me. I know it. Cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. Now, I always thought that it was only talking about drinking. Now, this is talking about when I'm sober as well. I have a bad habit of believing that the lies that my head tell me. And one of those is, and it hasn't been for a long time, is that it was okay to drink. I don't have that one so much anymore. <clears throat> but it tells me I'm okay to do other things. And me knowing them things aren't good for me to be doing, I do them anyway. And the desired result always shows up. So people could see the truth about my alcoholism and drug addiction long before I ever could. They told me, David, if you continue to drink the way that you drink, you're going to die. Now, I don't believe that. I cannot differentiate the true from the false. People told me over and over and over, David, it's going to end bad. It's going to end bad. It already been bad. <laughs> if it's going to get any better than that, you know, I mean, so. But here he's talking about when we're sober in this next sentence. <clears throat> we're restless. Or, I mean, our alcoholic life seems to be the only normal one. Now, if I go to prison once, that's abnormal. If I go there for the rest of my life, that becomes a normal part of my life. If I get divorced once, that's abnormal. If I get divorced over and over and over, that becomes a normal part of my life. Whatever I do becomes normal. I cannot differentiate the true from the false. <clears throat> this is what happens to me when I'm sober. And all these years later, this is the one thing that I'm going to want to watch for all the time. This is why I'll start a man in step 10. And we'll see more of that as we get to that in the book. We're restless. Ever notice how we're kind of restless just before we do something real stupid? Let's put the word physical above that. Anytime I'm restless, oh, I'm in a physical. Let's look at the word irritable. Ever notice how I kind of got an attitude? <clears throat> I'm not real happy with life. Put the word mental above that. Discontented. 
let's put the word spiritual above that. Let's continue to look at body, mind, spirit, body, mind, spirit. Now, this is how I am sober. Look at what he says. Unless we can again experience the the sense of ease and comfort, which comes by taking a few drinks. I buy into the line. I go ahead, put the alcohol in the body. The body takes over. I get sick and drunk. I come back to AA. I sober up. I feel a little better. My mind starts giving me restless, irritable, and discontentment. All of a sudden, when I was so anxious to hear everything you had to say, now I can't hardly stand to hear anybody talk about anything. And uh, I'm just irritable. And I'm restless. Unless I can drink again. Now notice what he says here. And this is important for all of us, but especially for the new person. Whether you be an addict, whether you be an alcoholic, whatever you may be. Please, if you don't take anything else from that, take this. Drinks which we see others taken with impunity. After we succumb to the desire again, after we go ahead and buy into that lie, we don't want to hurt no more in the head. So we go ahead and drink. We succumb to that desire, as so many do. Then the phenomenon of craving develops. Not before. See, my problem was after I sat in here for 30 days, I thought I was craving. <clears throat> I'm craving a drink. I'm craving a drug. He's saying no. And what T-Bone told me, no. You're fighting the obsession, David. You're not fighting the allergy. And he brought me back to this point in the book again. After some, after they succumb to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, then we pass through the well-known stages of the spree. Anybody relate to that? <clears throat> but then we get sobered up for a minute and with a firm resolution. Or we go through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful. Anybody familiar with that? With a firm resolution not to drink or drug again, whatever it may be. Anybody identify with that? The doctor says this is repeated over and over. And unless this person, in my case, David, can experience an entire psychic change, which we know today to be a spiritual awakening, look at this promise. There's very little hope of my recovery. I will die. There's no doubt. I will die from this. But look what happens once this spiritual awakening is taking place. On the other hand, and as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, my daughter, my mom, my ex-wife, once the psychic change has occurred, this awakening, the very same person, David, who seemed doomed, he only seemed that way. It wasn't that way. Remember, we suffer from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. The very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he ever despaired of solving them, suddenly, that's what a spiritual awakening is, suddenly, just like that, finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. I could never do that. Never. But there is a condition, and here it is. The only effort necessary being required to follow a few simple rules, which we're going to look at as the rest of the steps, is outlined in this book. If I don't do that, At some point, my mind is going to return, and it's going to convince me that it's going to be okay to do whatever it is I do, and I'm going to buy into that lie because I can't differentiate the true from the false. I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm going to buy into the lie. I'm going to put it in my body, and when I do, it's going to demand more of the same, and it's going to be repeated over and over and over and over. That's just the way it is. I don't have any control over that. So, bottom paragraph. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. How many times have we ever heard that from people? It's all in your mind. 
you could quit if you wanted to. I had my family tell me that. I don't know how many times. I had police officers tell me that. David, you could just quit if you would just put your mind to it. You've done anything you've ever wanted to. I mean, my God, look at all the places you robbed and got away with before you got caught, you know? It's like, <clears throat> you, could, you can stop. But the doctor says, no, I do not believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. It's in the body as well, and I don't know this. I've had many men who, had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorable to them. They took a drink, a drink, not a bunch of drinks, not a few drinks. They took a drink a day or so prior to that date. Then, not before, after they took the drink, the phenomenon of craving at once become paramount to all other interests. <clears throat> Steve Owen told me, you're not fighting the craving. You're fighting the obsession. When you're sober, you're restless, irritable, and discontent, you're fighting. And I thought I was craving that whole time. I'm not craving a drink. I'm praying for the wrong thing to be removed. Please remove the craving. Please remove the craving. The craving never occurs unless we put it in our body. Then, as we've read all the way down that page, then the phenomenon of craving at once becomes paramount to all other interests. It's good information to know. Next page, so the important point was not met, but look at this. See, these men were not drinking to escape. We're drinking to overcome a craving beyond the mental control. I can't control that with my mind. There's no way. So there are situations which arise out of this phenomenon of craving, which make which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Now, I didn't know for a long time in this book when it talks about supreme sacrifice, it's talking about giving up completely. We're going to end it. We're going to die. I've sponsored men in the past. <clears throat> I went in one morning and I found a guy. It's bad. Bad. We died. So <clears throat> let's look at what it says. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of the book. We're going to look at five different types of alcoholics. Let's see if we can relate to one, if not more than one, or not all of them. There are, of course, the psychopaths, type number one. I never considered myself to be a psychopath. Society has, my family has, but if I look at the definition he's going to give of what a psychopath is, I guarantee you probably all of us could relate to that. He says we're emotionally unstable. Anybody have been that way other than me? He's sober? That's what he describes as a psychopath. We're all familiar with this type. We're always going on the wagon for keeps. Anybody ever do that? Over-remorseful? Anybody ever feel real bad after? Yeah. Make rent many resolutions, but never a decision. Type number two. There's a type of man who is unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. I admitted I felt that way for a long time. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. I remember moving to Indiana, coming back. I remember going from vodka in the mornings to bourbon because I was starting to bleed. 
Type number three, there is the type who always believes that after being free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. <clears throat> There's the manic depressive type, that's type number four, who's perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Type number five. Their type's entirely normal in every respect, except the effect alcohol has upon them. Now, I used to think that was me, but society and everybody else told me that is not true. So I don't identify with that type anymore, at least admit to it. They're often able, intelligent, and friendly people, and we meet people like that after they sober up. Key paragraph right here. <clears throat> All of these and many others have one symptom in common, not a bunch. This, as I talked about my daughter earlier, she had all of these things going on with her mentally, same as we do. But physically, she could drink all she wanted. I've seen that happen with my mother and other people. It's not the mental part of this that makes us the same. It's the physical. All of this and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start. Keyword right there. Start. Drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. It doesn't come before, it comes after. <clears throat> this phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart at a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment which we are permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, and that's where I drew the line. It's like, no. Uh, entire abstinence. Mm. Well, they felt the same way. It says this immediately precipitates us into a, a seething cauldron of debate. And if you ever look up that word seething or cauldron, it's like a boiling pot. It's just a boiling pot of something. And that's kind of how it is, you know. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. So what's the solution? <laughs> I mean, you're telling me I'm going to die. What's the solution? And I love how he always answers it by an experience. He doesn't come off with some kind of medical knowledge. This might be what's going on. Let's treat this and see if this works or that works. He doesn't do any of that. He says, let me give you an experience here. And we're going to look at the man called Hank P., who wrote Chapter 10 in this book. This is him that we're talking about here. <clears throat> about one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in everything worthwhile in life. Most of us can relate to that. And was living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed for him that there was no hope. So he accepted step one right there. He frankly admitted and believed there was no hope. That's step one. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. If you look at the first four words at the very top of the page, it says, what is the solution? This next sentence is going to answer that. He accepted the plan outlined in the book. The fellowship's a wonderful thing, and I got to have it. I got to have it. But if I don't accept the plan outlined in this book, 
I can promise you, I will not stay sober on the fellowship alone. More important than that, I will not recover from what's really, really killing me, as we're going to see as we move through the rest of this book in this process, what the real problem is. Remember, if alcohol or drugs is a problem, whatever it may be, just don't drink or use it. There shouldn't be any more problems. But every time I stop, (laughs) then the problem shows up. He said, one year later, this man called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name, partly recognized his features, but they're all resemblance ended from a trembling. I need a question mark there for David. Was I that way? Despairing? Question mark? Nervous wreck? Question mark? Is that me? But look at what this awakening does. It emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance. Notice that's a small s. We're going to want to pay close attention to that. This man was brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. There's the promise. When I need a mental uplift, Often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis. And deciding his situation hopeless, he had hid out in a deserted barn determined to die. He was rescued by a searching party in desperate condition. I need to ask myself, is that how I am or was when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous? Am I still that way today without this power? Following his free physical rehabilitation he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought key word just because i think it doesn't mean that's the way it is we're going to see a lot about that thinking as we move on he thought the treatment was a waste of effort unless i could assure him which no one ever had in the past in the future that he would have the willpower see here's the problem we want to know about the willpower to resist the impulse to drink i don't have the power of will i lost that So his problem was so complex, his depression so great. Anybody ever feel like that when we sober up? That we felt, key word, his only hope would be through what he then called moral psychology. Today we call it spiritual experience. And we doubted if even that would have any effect. Here's the problem. I've got a body that can't process alcohol or whatever else it may be. And I got a mind that cannot process reality. I'm trapped and I can't get out. Mind leads me to drink. The body won't let me quit until I get so sick and drunk and in all kinds of trouble. And once I quit, the mind comes back. It convinces me it's okay to take a drink. I take a drink and here we go again. But when the first step says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives would become unmanageable, that's not a two-part step. That's three. If you look at that, we were powerless over alcohol. We're powerless for two reasons. Once I put it in my body, I cannot quit. And once I take it out of my body, I cannot stay quit because my mind comes back and always convinces me that it's okay to do it again. I'm powerless for two reasons. My life is unmanageable because I have lost power. Three parts there. I didn't know that. I'd argue with everybody about that. No, that's not true. It's not true. People don't convince me in a very unique way. That by God it was true, and so it has been ever since. So, <laughs> so. However, 
Roman numeral 32, last page in the doctor's pen. He did become sold on the ideas, keyword, contained, here it is again, in the book. And I think from this alcoholic here, at least, until I become sold on the ideas contained in the book, this next sentence didn't happen to me. He's not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then. He's the finest specimen of manhood as one could wish to me. I earnestly, earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through. And though perhaps he came to scope, he may remain to pray. <clears throat> Dr. Well, William D. Silkworth, MD. So, very, very good chapter. When I was finally able to read and understand what it was saying. 